You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. Right, good morning again. I want to talk to you this morning about the war within. I don't think it's fair that Tom and Jules got to look at my notes before the service today. Because we're all in the same vein today. The message is coming at you loud and clear. There's something in you that is greater than something that is in the world. I want to talk to you today about the war that's going on within. Every single human being inside in this building today is in the middle of a war. There are different kinds of wars, of course. There can be emotional, psychological, and spiritual wars. But let me give you an example. I was talking last week about the immune system. Just for a moment, I want to just go back on one point, and it was this. We basically have, in essence, three different immune systems. And the immune systems are both innate and adaptive. You've got uh, a physical immune system. You know what's going on in your physical immune system. You know that if you have an infection, you're feeling sick, it'll be obvious. You also have a psychological immune system and a spiritual immune system. And all of these things are aiding you in the fight against what would take you down. Now, I don't want to go too much into immunes and this kind of stuff because I was talking about that last week. But I want to focus really on the spiritual element today. But I want to start off by saying this. There's a war within you, but there's something else within you at war with what's at war with you. Paul wrote, and I quoted it last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He wrote about how they were pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. But he preambled that by saying this. He said, we now have this light shining in our hearts, but we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. He said, we are useless, we're just like a jar. You don't know what's in the jar. It's just a kind of a worthless jar. You know, when, when you buy something in Tesco, you buy a pot of jam for what it's worth in a jar. In Tesco, you buy a jar of jam. You don't take it home, throw all the jam into the bin and go, I really wanted this jar, do you? The jar really is only the container. It's what's inside it is what counts. And that's why he went on to say, this makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. The war that you are having The war going on within you will be won by a power that isn't you. By a power that isn't innate to you and doesn't come with you. Now, when I said everyone's in a war, I honestly want to say prophetically, I know this morning that there are people who are in psychological, emotional situations this morning and you feel like you're really in a war. You've been in a relational argument. You've been in a situation that's really affecting your mind. Well, God is greater than what's affecting your mind. Some of you are in a battle in something in your body. You may even have heard bad news recently, but you, I want to tell you this morning, God is greater than what's going on in your body at the moment. And some of you are in a spiritual war. All of us, in fact, are in a spiritual war, whether we know it or we don't know it. And that's the important thing. You see, when we're in a war, physically, spiritually, or emotionally, It isn't seen. You can't actually see the war, but you can see its effects. You know what's going on just by observing the person. If you know someone closely, you know if there's a war going on in their mind about a particular issue. But you need to be close to someone first to understand that. You won't just meet them on the street and know it. It's the same spiritually. It's the same emotionally. These wars go on largely unseen. But there's something at work inside us 
that is greater than what's going on. You see, it's about what's inside. That's the truly valuable thing about us. Would anyone say amen? You see, all men are like flesh, says the scriptures, and their glory is like the flower of the field. The the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. It's like this. It's like when you go to buy a computer. No, no matter what brand of computer you buy, you can buy an Asus, an Abu Bashi, a Bang Jang, a Wang Gong. It doesn't matter what kind of computer you buy. You will very often look for a sticker like this one. Do you see the Intel Core 17 inside? The key is what's inside the computer. Has it got a good processor? Because that's what makes the computer operate and function fluently and well. It's not the device itself. And if you own an Asus and Bang Bang or a Jangong computer, that's fine. What you need to have is inside a good processor. And that's just like what it's us for us. Another example I thought of, and I believe that this may be even a little bit prophetic as, as I was praying about this message this week. It's like, it's like when you buy an engagement ring. I bought an engagement ring for my wife many, many years ago. I bought it for her in, I don't remember, December 2019, something or other. It's a long time ago. You see, the thing about an engagement ring is this. The box is absolutely worthless. It is absolutely worthless. If I came and got down on one knee and produced a box and said, Darling, will you marry me and opened an empty box? I get a smack around the head and I deserve it because the box is worthless. It's only the outside. It doesn't matter. It's what's inside the box that counts. It is God who makes our lives truly profoundly valuable. It's what is of God is in us is what makes us truly valuable. And I want to say to you this morning, and maybe this will speak to some here. I, 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 I know it will because the Lord spoke to me about it, um, that you feel In your life, and it may even be relationally, it may even relate to marriage, that you've only ever been handed handed an empty box. And that up to now, it's just an empty box is all you've got to show for your relationships and for your hopes of building a life and building a future. Or maybe in life in general, you feel like you've just been handed an empty box and there's nothing in it. The Lord would say to you this morning, trust me for the contents of your life. Hand me over the box which is your life and trust me for the contents and the treasure that will be contained in it. If you're here this morning and the longing of your heart has been continually deferred, that you would meet someone that you could love and that you could marry and you could build a life with, trust God. He's got your future in his hands. Would anyone say... Amen. Amen. Good job. I want to talk to you about what's inside. I'm going to refer to this as the big in. And I want to look just very briefly at some scriptures, just some references uh, relating to what's going on inside us. And then we're going to work it out as we go forward. So here, here are some of the big ins. Here are just some very short references to the things that are inside us that matter. Let's start off with this one. Here's the classic. Christ lives in you. And this gives you the assurance of sharing his glory. Christ lives where? In you. He's not out there up a mountain. Even Paul said this message is not up a mountain or up in heaven. He said it's actually near you. It's in your heart. It's right next to you. Christ lives in you. And this gives you assurance of sharing his glory. In essence, it's the deposit that you will share his glory. Paul says this, I no longer live in a most mysterious statement. He said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Does anybody remember the old old song? I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I started too high and now I'll have to bring it down. 
No, no, I didn't think so. I didn't think so. We used to, we used to sing it. We sang it in, uh, in, when I was in Bible school in America. Just how I pulled out that one there. Yeah? When I was in Bible school in America, and we used to sing it. We used to be dancing, but there was a solid concrete floor, and we all ended up getting shin, shin splints from dancing before the Lord, and we were healed in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs> I no longer live, he said, but Christ lives in me. He goes on to say this. He says, don't you realize, he says to the, second, to the Corinthians, the Corinthians who were wild and untethered and untamed, he said, lads, don't you realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? He's actually in you. How is he in you? He's in you by his spirit. That is how he is in you. There is a power at work within you already, but it's only there only if you know Jesus. That's it. That's the power, and that's how you will know that power at work. And he goes on to say this, he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. He goes on to say this, here's, here's, here's Paul again. He says, that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is, let's try the in, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is, in you. It's in you. Last verse. Here we go. According to his power, Paul talks about at work in us. And he says, now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, according to his power at work in us. Are you with me? That's the big in. And brothers, we're insiders on the big in. We are on the inside because we have him on the inside. Here Paul spells it out very clearly. I'm going to look at the book of Ephesians, just some passages in the book of Ephesians, and you'll stone me afterwards, and that's okay. He says this, I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. According to his glorious unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his power. In the kingdom of God, there is no can't do it. In the kingdom of God, there is can do it by God's power at work in me. And we may think that in some ways, this is some big event or some big thing that we need to do. Very often, it's the power to live. Some people, I think, is it tomorrow or is it the following Monday? Is Blue Monday? I think it's. I think it may be tomorrow. Maybe the, the considered to be the most depressing day of the year comes either tomorrow or or the following Monday. I can't remember which one it is. And on that day, many people will just need power to get out of bed. Will just need power to get out of bed. It doesn't have to be some heroic, amazing thing that we do. Sometimes it's the power for just living the life that God has called us to live. I want to look further into the book of Ephesians and I want to move over to the battle or the war that we are in. And I want to look at the spiritual element of it. And I want to look at some of the classic verses that you'll be very familiar with and I'm very familiar with, that you'll have known if you've read the Bible at all for any period of time, you'll be familiar with these verses in relation to the spiritual war that we are in. Here Paul is writing to the Ephesians, and he writes to them this in Ephesians chapter 6. He says, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor, so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. He goes on. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, 
But we're fighting against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. And against mighty powers in this dark world. And against evil spirits in heavenly places. He says, stand firm against all strategies of the devil. The primary strategy of the devil, of course, is to separate you from God. That's the, that, that's the primary strategy. And he'll do it in many different ways by separating you from others. I've said it before. I'll say it again. If the devil can get you thinking wrongly about yourself, about others, or about God, you'll do the rest. The enemy is in the habit and in the business of confusing the people of God about who they are, where they stand with him, and how they should treat others. That's the war. That's the war that we're in. But what I like about this passage is that it follows on from a long, a long other sequence that happens much earlier in the book. You see, when you take this verse on its own, it can feel very ethereal. It can feel very mysterious. It can feel kind of smokier, cloudier, kind of, ooh, kind of spiritual war. But that's not really how Paul actually writes all of his letters. You see, in every one of Paul's letters, you will find what I refer to as wings and wheels. And that is that in every one of his letters, he makes reference to our spiritual position in Jesus. The basic structure of all his letters is generally the same. He greets them. He says, who, he describes what God has done for them, who they are because of that, and then how that works out in their lives. And so it has the wings of the spirit on it, but it also has wheels because it gets worked out in their lives. Some people refer to it as breath and bones, that the, the word of God actually has things in it that are purely spiritual, but it also has the bones of how we live out this life. And that's, of course, always the favorite part of every letter when you're beginning to read about how you should live your lives. Now, the beauty of it is you're not living your life because of some kind of moral code. When Paul gives instructions about how we should live, he does so on the basis of who we are in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? He's saying, live this way because of who you are. I've said it before, live a certain way. If you're a husband, you should live in a certain way towards your wife. If you were a child, you should live in a certain way before towards your parents and so on and so forth. Are you with me? So he goes on to say this. Okay, so you're kind of getting a bit nervous now. He's saying, what is Michael going to come up with? Well, I'm going to go back and I'm going to go back as far as I know. I think I have, I'm Ephesians 3 or Ephesians 4 here. I think I'm in Ephesians 4. And Paul is talking to the Ephesians, though it's one of the best letters he's, he's ever written. He starts writing to the Ephesians and this is what he says. Remember, he's writing to a church of Christians, people who love Jesus, the people who were in the first generation of those who love Jesus. These are the people he's writing to. And he says this to them. He says, get rid of all bitterness, Rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Hallelujah. Get rid of all bitterness Nobody here. Okay, everyone who's been bitter. No, no. Get rid of all bitterness, all rage, anger, harsh words, and slander. Now, I know nobody in this room since they became a Christian has ever had an outburst of rage or anger, said harsh words or slandered anyway. I know none of you ever have. So I don't know why he's writing this to us. No idea why he's writing this to Christians. So we're all lovely people. We all do part B. We all do the kind and tender-hearted and huggy, lovey, gentle stuff. We do all that, don't we? Amen. 
Bless you, Sister Dara. A special anointing over here on the top right-hand corner. But he says, why is he addressing this? Because they were being angry with each other. What are you doing? You're late for the meeting. You're always late for the meeting. What are you showing up like this for? Hey, you forgot your Bible again. You forgot your Bible. Oh, yeah, that's a great excuse. There's no, the toilets are dirty. Nobody cleaned the toilets in the church. No, thankfully, nobody's ever said any of those things to me. But... I'm using examples of rape. I don't want to give you real examples because you won't like me anymore. Anyway, but he says this. He says, get rid of all of these things, right? Get it, but be tender, be kind, be forgiving. Goes on to say this. He says, so be careful how you live. Now I am moving through the chapters and through the verses. I'm short-handing a little bit. So be careful how you live. He said, don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. And he goes on in his instructions and he says, because you're Christians, you need to behave, he thinks, in a certain way. Okay? So he says this. He says, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. And do you know what that means, the word submit means? What's the opposite of submit? Let's take that. The opposite of submit is to resist. Don't be resisting one another. Don't let it always be your way or the highway. Don't let it always be your way or the highway or your way first or your needs first. That's, that's what he's saying. He's saying when you submit to one another, don't resist each other. If you have needs or requirements or need help or need to be loved or need to be supported, don't be resisting each other but submit if somebody says something to you that's a bit out of order you think or they say to you you know you could have done this don't take it all so flaming personally don't resist one another and then a closing verse for today for wives this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord so let's if you're able will you get on your knees because this is a time for us to pray let us close Lord so if any, if any of the wives here would like to repent, just put your hand up with every eye open. For wives, this means stop resisting your husband. Right. Hallelujah. Like I said, let, let, let's, let's just take a moment of reflection on those verses. Because it's so important that wives, you know, hallelujah, oh Lord. Mmm. What does it mean? It doesn't always have to be your way. For goodness sake, would you let the fellow be the head of his own house? Why is Tom laughing so loud? I think he feels that Denise is convicted here. Like I read this first to Elma last night. Let me show you the mark on my back. I mean, even in Romans it said that Sarah called Abraham Lord. What's the matter, like? Moving on, Michael. Do you know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to tell you what this means. Do you know why? Because you know what it means. And do you know what, lads? We know what this means too. For husbands, this means love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave him his life up for her. I've said it before. I will say it again. Single woman, if you're out there. Don't marry him unless he's willing to lay down his life for you. Not buy you flowers and take you for meals. Don't mind that rubbish that he's willing to lay down his life for you. 
What does this mean for husbands? Husbands, love your wives more than you love your hobbies. Hallelujah. More than you love sport. Oh, Lord, no, getting too close. More than you love your car. Mm, more than you love your buddies. More than you love your children. More than you love your children. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us. Now you might be sitting there thinking, ah, that's great for me. I have neither a husband nor have I a wife. I'm grand. I'm off the hook. Hallelujah. Well, hold on a while. You may not be a husband, you may not be a wife, but you are a child. And Paul has some interesting instructions for children too. Here he goes. He says, children, obey your parents. Let's try that again. Children, obey your parents. Ah, for the crack. Children, obey your parents. Would anyone say amen? amen? Because you belong to the Lord and this is the right thing to do. No, obey your parents unless you're 44. <laughs> Married with three children, a career, a mortgage, two cars in the driveway. Then you probably shouldn't be obeying your parents. But you should honor your father and your mother, which is the rest of this verse. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first command with a promise that you may live long in the land. Are you with me? Are you with me? You're wondering, how, he's after changing direction. Bear with it. He goes on to say this, and parents do not provoke your children to anger in the way that you treat them. Eugene Peterson translates this fantastic in the message. He says, parents, and especially fathers, don't be coming down hard on your children all the time. Don't be catching them doing wrong all the time. Try catching them doing good once every now and again. And I want to say to you, if you're a husband or a wife or you're a parent or whatever, and maybe, if you have ears to hear, maybe the Lord is speaking to you today. I know he was speaking to me today when I was studying, that's for sure. But he's not finished there. He says this. He says, slaves, that's everybody who's got a job, by the way. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. But only if they're lovely and cuddly and nice and they're Christians. That's the only masters that you should obey. If they're not Christians, you can give them the two fingers. I nearly gave two fingers down to that corner. That was it. You can tell them to get lost and that Jesus looks after you. That's what he says. No, he says, even if your master is not very nice, even if your master is nasty and rotten, you still should treat him with respect and with fear and you should obey him. Amen. Serve him as sincerely as you would serve Christ. Can you imagine how transformative that would be in your job? You say, I don't work for this master. I really work for Jesus. He just happens to be my temporary boss. I work for Jesus and everything I do in this place, for this, for this company, for this place, I do for Jesus. Let me continue on. He goes on to say this. He says, for, some, for masters, he says, masters treat your slaves in the same way. Remember, he's writing to the early Christians. There was actual slaves and actual slave masters in the church. Don't threaten them and remember that you both have the same master in heaven and he has no favorites. 
Paul writes this radical statement about the message of Jesus Christ. He said, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, but everyone is one in Christ Jesus. He said, God has no favorites anymore. Up to that point, the Jews believed that the Jews were God's favorite. And Paul says, no, in Christ, God has no favorites. Not men, not women, not bosses, not slaves, not Jews with great heritage, not Greeks or Gentiles like us. No one. He has no favorites. And so we come back to our war. We come back to our war. And this is why we come back to our war. Remember the people that Paul has described. He has them here. He says, husbands, love your wives. Wives, submit to your husbands. Parents, obey your or children. Parents, don't oh, treat your children harshly. Children, obey your parents. Masters, treat your slaves well. Slaves, obey your masters. And before that, he says, be kind and tender-hearted and loving and forgiving towards one another. Why? He says, far, far. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities. Are you with me? Yeah. Did you catch me? Do you see my point? Yeah. You see, you can't take this verse. That's a holy spiritual verse over here. Oh, oh, oh it's just, we are fighting a war. Yes, we must pray. Would anyone say amen? And prayer is as much part of our war as anything else. But in its context, when you read this story in the context, he leads up to this section after he's talking about how we treat one another because we are not one another's enemies. And the devil would love you to ruin your spiritual life by having you at your wife's throat or your wife at your throat or you on top of your children or your children on top of you or your master killing you or you killing your master. That's exactly what the devil would have you do. He'd exactly love you to be dragged off into a worthless, pointless fight when the real fight is with the spiritual powers of darkness. But the way that we fight that fight is by loving one another, by respecting and obeying and submitting to one another, by, by being good people. It's by doing good that we put out the evil and we put out the darkness. Are you with me? That's how it's actually done. It's not some mysterious, spiritual, cloudy thing. And you read 15 books and they all tell you that the cloud comes down and the prayers go up and angels' feathers and dust fall down and all sorts. No! If you want to be spiritually strong, husbands, love your wives. Love them. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. If you want to be spiritually strong, children, obey your parents. Are you with me? Yes. Sorry. But I get so annoyed when in the devil's way, he spiritualizes these things when they're so practical, so real, and so simply outworked in our lives. Love your wife. You know, I read a quote by I can't remember some famous, the guy who wrote Focus on the Family, who's Focus on the Family, what's his name? Dr. James Dobson, who said the best thing a man can do for his children is to love his wife. No, I put in the, I want to put on the record, with a smile on my face, I fall down on this all the time, okay? So it's not that, I, I'm giving out to myself, I preach to myself just as much to anyone else. I fail to love my wife the way that Christ loved the church, and I do it all the time. And she lets me know because I have the texts here. If you want to fight the devil, wives, some... No, moving on. Hallelujah. You get the, you get the picture. 
It's not a spiritual, mystical thing. It's a practical, outworked thing. Here, this is what Paul writes. He writes to the Romans. And maybe the band will come up. Guys, you want to come up here? We're going we're to close in a second. We're going to close in prayer in a second. He writes to the Roman Christians. He writes this amazing letter. If you've never read it, you should read it. And he outlines and lays out the massive truths of the doctrines of the, of, of the scripture. He lays them out all the way right up into Romans chapter 11. And then he begins to talk about how this works out in our lives and how we should behave. And this is something that's really important. I say this to you this morning prophetically, really important, that some of you here are being dragged into fights that aren't your fights. You're being brought into situations. You're being asked to take sides in situations that aren't your situations. You're being dragged into distracting, energy-draining fights, and the Lord would say to you, do not get involved in that situation. Don't get involved in that situation. Paul writes to them, and he's talking about revenge, and he's talking to the Christians, and he says, do not take revenge, but leave it in the Lord's hands. Leave any issue, outstanding issue, I'm going to get my backs on him. No, you're not. I'm going to get my revenge on her. No, you're not. He says, leave it with the Lord. Because the Lord will decide who's right and who's wrong in the end. And then he finishes up this amazing chapter, even though he, he doesn't write it as a chapter, but he finishes up this amazing piece by saying this simple statement. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Are you with me? Are you with me? It practices out. It's not just wings, it's wheels as well. It works out in your life. I love the way that another translation, this is in the NAV, the NLT puts it this way. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Because we are in a spiritual war, brothers and sisters. And the way that we will win that spiritual war is by being strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. By loving and forgiving and being tender-hearted towards one another. In the way that we treat others, that's how we are going to win the war. Because then we don't give the devil any opportunity to distract us or to break down our, our defenses in the midst of this war. And I take it all the way back to this most important point. How do you know that ultimately you will be victorious in this war? How do you know ultimately that you are going to conquer evil and not be conquered by it? Simply this, John writes to the early Christians, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4, he says this, He that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. The power is at work in you already. Already at work in you. He can give you victory. He can give you victory in the way that issues have risen in relationships. You can say, Lord, will you give me the strength to love my wife? Lord, will you give me the strength to obey or honor my father and my mother? Lord, will you give me the strength as I step over this threshold today to obey my boss and to serve him as though I was serving Jesus Christ? He will give you the strength to do that because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Are you with me? Yes. Amen. Will you stand with me? We're going to pray. I want to pray this morning. We're going to sing just in a second. We're going to sing the song, More Than Conquerors, which Paul outlays in Romans chapter 8. You can see the physical and spiritual parallel lines. It's not spiritual or physical. It's both physical and spiritual. It's a parallel. This morning I want to pray 
let, let's just close our eyes for a moment. Can I just, I just want to just ask you this morning, are you in the situation this morning you're being dragged into somebody else's fight? Can I ask you to close your eyes? Are you, in somebody, are you being dragged into somebody else's fight? Is the Lord speaking to you this morning about not being pulled in to an argument that isn't yours or that will not produce any good? If that's your situation today, just between you and I, would you raise your hand? I see your hands. Okay, I see your hands. I see your hands in the room. I'm just going to pray very briefly for you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord. Your word says, do not live as fools, but live as wise, Lord. I pray that they will be wise in their decisions, wise in their choices, wise in their choice of words, wise in their choice of actions, Lord. And I pray that your spirit would empower them to say no in Jesus' name. And God's people said, we're going to sing and we're going to pray. We're going to sing. Can we brew it up? We're going to sing the song More Than Conquerors. We're going to go into the song and then we'll close in prayer together. Hallelujah. When my hope and strength is gone, you're the one who calls me on. You are the light, you are the fight that's in my soul. Oh, your resurrection power. your prayer. Lord, would you give me victory? You know the area. You know the battle that you're fighting. Maybe it's a physical, spiritual, emotional, psychological battle. You know the battle you're in. How's about praying this morning? Lord, let 2022 be a year of victory in my life. Would anybody pray that? Will you raise your hand if you want to pray that prayer? Can I invite you to raise the other hand with it? Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that we were born into a battle. Lord, and the enemy seeks to distract us and to dismay us and to divide us. But today we declare that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. Today we declare that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and it will quicken our mortal body. Today we declare there is a strength at work in us who know you that he cannot overcome. Lord, I pray that this will be a year of victory in all of our lives, Lord. Lord, that we would overthrow the relational issues. Would anyone say amen? Lord, that we would overthrow the emotional issues. Would you say amen? Lord, we would overthrow the physical issues, we pray. And Lord God, that we would overthrow the spiritual powers of darkness at work in our lives, in our homes, in our workplaces, and in our city. Let us know a year of victory this year, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. And God's people said, amen. Praise God. Let's close finally. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance and give you his peace. 
in Jesus' mighty name. And for the last time, God's people said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. May God bless you, brothers and sisters, and go with you as we go into this coming week. The guys are going to play us out with the song, More Than Conquerors. We're serving tea and coffee downstairs, and we'll see you in half an hour at half past 11. God bless you. Jules.